Hello everyone and welcome to What Would The Smart Party Do? It's the end of another year almost and we've got on some special guests to talk about what's been happening, what they've been up to and what might happen in the future. With me as always is my good friend Baz. How are you doing Baz? End of the year already? You're joking. When's the millennium coming up? <laughs> oh I don't know. Seems like very soon though. I know it's Cyberpunk 2020 next year and Blade Runner has already happened. So where's my flying cars? That's what I want to know. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> so I mentioned some special guests and we have first of all from the good friends of Jackson Elias podcast Mr Paul Fricker how are you Paul? Hello I'm very well and pleased to be here honoured to be invited once more to uh, join your illustrious podcast excellent and <laughs> you then... bring the scripts <laughs> <laughs> the guy who brings the party sevens we've also got from the Grognard Files podcast Dirk the Dice how are you doing Dirk? hello there guys and uh, I've brought a pork pie with egg in it a speciality oh. And, a long uh, egg, yeah. Nice. I, th- I think I brought one to the last party you invited me to, and I've got some uh, little blowers with feathers on. So I'll, I'll, blow, <laughs> I'll blow it at the end. And it's an excellent party hat you're wearing as well, if I may say so. So, um, we probably want to have a little cast back about what, what's happened this year in the games industry, or what happened in our personal gaming lives. And uh, I'll kick off with one and then let you guys jump in with some of your highlights as well. But. I think what's been interesting this year is the rise of, um, I'm going to call it amateur gaming, becoming more professional. So if you look at stuff like Critical Role, that's gone from being a, a quite popular thing to like a, a force majeure kind of thing, or a, that's probably the wrong phrase, but it, it, a force <laughs> in and of itself. Force uh, of nature. Put it. There you go, force of nature. Because they've um, they've got a comic series that's going to be drawn and, and put on TV and stuff like that that's all been funded. Uh, all kinds of different games and stuff they're promoting and uh, the fandom's just gone absolutely crazy going to Dragon Meet as we did a few weeks ago there's uh, just people with Critical Role cosplay on and little horns and Critical Role seems to be the way people get into D&D these days more than anything uh, and then you can look at other examples like Matt Colwell for example who's just another Kickstarter which is over a million dollars raised so while it's been good for the role-playing hobby generally from a professional point of view in terms of what's going on I think it's been a good year for people who were amateurs who are now making big bucks or big impacts Dragon Meat's um, Dragon Meat's an interesting call actually mate because we're just back from that aren't we most mm. of us three quarters of us <laughs> don't, couldn't make it this year poor old boy um, it's a uh, the Dragon Meat's always got a certain tone to it and I think for me the tone around the trade hall this year was um, it's uh, it's moved away from being board gamey which is how it was going for the last couple of years and it looked a bit more like a like the kind of place you would go to get props for your live streaming D and D Twitch channel. So there was an awful lot of like craft stalls and horns and top hats and face makeup and dice trays and dice boxes. There was so much bling, and it was all kind of like angled towards D twenty. It's it's almost like um, oh, I want to play D and better get a costume, which is <laughs> which is what something I was kind of fighting against in the 70s and 80s no no you don't have to dress up it's not quite like that and maybe we should have embraced it a long time ago because people seem to love it they want to wear hats yeah that's very true you have to buy a holder for your d20 now you can't just like have your dice on the table or <laughs> in a pouch for example yeah <laughs> I, I played some D&D recently again which I'll get into a bit later but um, there was a Mickey Mouse sorcerer's hat from Disneyland that the, the the host of the party had and the guy who played the wizard wouldn't take it off he was insisting on wearing it all the way through so I, I definitely see your point uh, and what about you Paul what, what's been going on in your world well actually yes I've been playing some D&D as well I've wrapped up a tomb, the Tomb of Annihilation campaign back in ooh, February I think uh, friend Robin's been running that that took over a year that was the first long campaign that I've played I think since Beyond the Mountains of Madness, maybe about seven or eight, ten years ago. Wow! Um, been playing lots of games, but no real major campaigns because you know how hard it is getting a group together, you know, to yeah. play every week. Well, not necessarily every week, but like every week, two weeks, maybe sometimes three week gap. But suddenly, I found there was this group in Milton Keynes. We're getting together every week, and then we got like a GM and seven players. Um, so sometimes there's one or two people not there and it came to the end of it and I thought it's been good but I don't know if I want to give every Sunday afternoon over to doing this maybe I'll like drop out and you know go on and just play at the club and so on then I thought you know what it's not very often in my life where I've had a group like that that do actually get together so I'm going to stick with it 
because yeah. that's quite a rare thing. Um, and now we're starting Curse of Strahd. And it's not... I haven't really played a lot of D&D for quite a few years either, so it was really nice getting back into it and recapturing that. Because yeah, there is something, to me, special about D&D that sets, somehow is sort of set apart from other games. I don't quite know how and why, but uh, but it is. So just having a wizard with a, with a, a wand of uh, lightning bolts... Was somehow great fun. I didn't really think it would somehow. be now, but it was. <laughs> it means somehow great fun. <laughs> oh, I, know. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I look back and think, yeah, the the thirteen year old me that he would love that, but actually, the uh, the somewhat older me still loves that. Exactly. Mate. <laughs> Do you know what? It turns out that despite everybody's pretensions to like wanting to be have role playing as art, I have yet to see a table not erupt into applause when a crit gets rolled on a table. Yeah. It just happens. It doesn't matter who you are. Rolling a natural twenty is a big deal. Yeah, it totally is. Totally mm. is. We've we've been playing a couple of those uh, Wizards of the Coast uh, campaigns. Last year we did Storm King's Thunder, and this year we've done Dragon Heist, which is mm. an adventure set in uh, Waterdeep. And there is something about them, isn't it? They're very um, full and rich, and you get everything you need um, to to play the campaigns. Um, and we really enjoyed it, but. For this t- this time when we're in Dragon Heist, I played a monk. I'm never going to play a monk again. <laughs> they don't belong in D and D. That's my view. <laughs> There's um yeah well from my perspective we've been playing Acquisitions Incorporated, which is another giant hardback campaign. I don't know why we do this. We all say we don't do it. And um one of one of my colleagues is playing a monk in that, and I wish he will never play a monk. Again. <laughs> <laughs> I just remember back in the day looking at the the player's handbook at monks and thinking, you know, once you get to a certain level, you can drop any distance and like be able to survive it. Yeah, who cares? (laughs) But that somehow seemed quite amazing. Well, I managed managed to uh, throw myself into every combat in that way. I I just went for the ruse and jumped into it uh, just just so I could because I had no other discernible talent. And uh, the other thing is, uh, we played it for a complete year. One of the talents I had was to be able to catch arrows and throw them back at the opponent. Not a single arrow came in my direction <laughs> over 12 months. <laughs> That's your DM being mean. <laughs> I, was just doing, um, I was doing a character for a D&D game the other week, actually. It was only third level or something. And um, <laughs> those little abilities that you can get in modern D&D, they sound so cool. Um, I was doing a rogue and it had like second story something or other but it sounded pretty cool and it turns out that my climb speed is the same as my walking speed and you just think oh my god you've just sucked all the life out of this who cares (laughs) I can climb as fast as I can walk that's like an ability that I should be proud of and write down on my sheet get off yeah it's unpalatable isn't it yeah I've um, I've been running D&D for a new group as I've said which Interestingly, talking about going back to that particular game, it's like the game they insisted on. I, I tried to suggest there were other games that were easier, simpler, more evocative, better at storytelling, whatever it might be. But in their heads, D and D was the game, so that's what we played. But they're getting quite into it. But the thing is with new people as well is they tend to see abilities like second story man or whatever and do something completely different with it. They don't read all the subtext; they just see the title and go, "Well, this surely means I can do that." Uh, and of course from the way we DM that's going to be like yes you can do that I think probably let's roll the dice for it and see you know it's going to be because you look at what it actually does and think well that's rubbish like I'm not going to like destroy the nascent players who are about to get excited by saying no actually it just allows you to move an extra five feet up a wall it's going to do something more than that right but yeah big hardback adventures they're a thing right it sounds out like we're all involved in them in one way or another who thought that was going to happen in 2019 well, you did, Dirk, because it's your second one. <laughs> <laughs> Just on the D&D trip, I should mention, actually, there's um, a YouTube channel called uh, Bob Worldbuilder. I don't know how you guys have found the campaigns, but he's done some stuff on the Essentials Kit and gone over it and basically says what's wrong with them, but in a positive way, and then explains how you've made them better. Obviously, I'm looking at it for the, the criticism, which I enjoy, but um, he does it in a very positive way to say why it might not be great and here's a better version of it so I don't know what you guys think of the actual produced D&D stuff because while it's generally good and of a high quality in terms of production and everything I found certainly for the Essentials Kit for example that the adventures actually aren't that great 
they need a little bit of noodling about, which is fine for guys such as us, we can make stuff up. Uh, but if you're new to the hobby, perhaps, or one of these people who's watched Critical Role and got into D&D, are they really good enough, or do they need more meat on the bones? I think uh, it, it, it Blythe has been uh, DMing for us, and he'll certainly concur that it needs a lot of work. You know, he's had to uh, structure it, pick out the bits that um, are interesting, and tone it down in a lot of cases as well. Um, particularly Waterdeep, he's pointed out that the characters are just such high level, and um, there's not much hook into it. You, you have to work it. Um, so I, th- I think I think that's a, a fair criticism, really. Uh, blade has been doing it on uh, Roll20, so he's not actually had the big hardback books. He's been using the kit that you get with Roll20, which is almost like a wiki version of it, with all the maps and all the tokens. And um, for this one, he found it really difficult because it's more sandboxy. And just navigating his way as a DM through all the little bits... Um, as we were exploring different areas of Waterdeep, he found it uh, quite—it it got in the way, really. Um, uh, even though it's quite attractive, we ended up doing a lot of theatre of the mind um, stuff just because he just couldn't handle all the. Uh, it kept crashing and doing all the things that uh, PCs do, and it just got in the way of uh, having fun, really. Hmm. Yeah, I, I find um, I've got a few, and I've played played a few I suppose now and GM'd a few they're overwordy, realistically they're just too big and unwieldy literally unwieldy I think the Roll20 stuff is probably obviously much easier to manage um, but as, as just as a book in the giant um, and I just in a world that's got some, some amazing creativity at the fringes of the D&D hobby over in the OSR they are really you know putting manners on, on Watsy when it comes to generating really good content that's usable at a table with with layout um with creativity with leaving blanks um just making it so much more usable these these big events and they are really big events i guess they're the equivalent of like the pathfinder adventure paths just wedged into one book and you know i i definitely feel the call of like it'd be great to get one of these campaigns done so that i could you know put a notch against it and say i've done that but they're hard work. They're just they're hard work to read. So I'm kind of less tempted to offer it up to the group to play. And if I find it hard work at that stage, I know it's going to be it's going to fizzle after a few weeks. So I mean, I'm delighted to hear that people are finishing these things and that Paul's finished Tomb of Annihilation and and the rest of it. Um, for me, they're too big. Yeah, I think there's almost it's very hard writing these things for people, particularly when you're writing, as we said, as Gaz said, you want perhaps beginners want more support so you've got to put more content in there but then when we read it we say well it's a bit overwritten so <laughs> it's a very hard balance to strike so it's mm. almost like you could take some of these products and produce several versions of them here's like a version for a complete beginner and here's another version that's kind of stripped down for your old hands who will just take it and improvise with it mm. it just feels like it needs a highlighter running through it a lot of the time mm. Uh, and that's true. That's not that's not exclusive to what see hardback adventures either. I find that true of a lot of gaming books that I'm reading these days. You know, I just want to get the get the pricey really. Mm. And uh, and I don't necessarily think that's just because I've got you know years of knowledge about how to do it or anything else like that. It's just like where where is where is the NPC in this massive block of text? Where is the piece of treasure? Why is it like the third paragraph of description of the room before I realise there's a monster in it? Yeah. You know, you just. <laughs> It's it's literally difficult to to scan at the table and and to tell players what they see when they when they take actions. That's what I mean by it. I think. Yeah, and and not only that, sometimes it's hard just to find the adventure. You know what is what's exciting <laughs> about this encounter, or what's exciting about this situation um, that is going to come alive at the table. Sometimes it's so overwritten that you you're having to create it yourself almost just from the mm. uh, statistics that they provide yeah yeah. yeah they can be really patchy in what detail you get I think it's one of the Ringwest adventures where it's sort of always 13th edging around through it starts off by telling you all this stuff about this little village and you get this donkey called Jenny or something that's brought over by the stable hand and blah 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 it's like so you tell me what the donkey's called I don't think I needed to know that and you said Jenny which I think I could have made up so 
And then I don't know who this stable guy is who's going to follow him around now. Like, I don't know whose name it is. Not the donkey's called. And it's just like, if you go into that level of detail, do it for everything, or don't provide that detail, or provide some interesting detail that makes, like, what's, give me a feature that I can use. There's no point giving me the name of a donkey. Like, yeah. has it got three legs or something? Or has it got possessed by a demon? Or is it like, you know, yes. that's why you want some gameable content, don't you? I think sometimes people write too many words that don't actually deliver anything that you're going to use in the game. I suppose another example of something that's I want the praise of is the new Alien RPG that's come out, which is going to go huge. I think it's already quite big, uh, which I like. Um, but it's got it's like a coffee table book. There's loads of full color spreads and things like that. I say color; it's mainly black. But you know, <laughs> both colors, black and white. <laughs> but you get a double praise spread, and there'll be a little table down the bottom with about four rows on it, and that's all on those, that's on those two pages. And there's lots of pages like that where you're not getting any information, which is. I kind of like the book as it is because it looks beautiful and I like flicking through it but I also want a supplementary 16 to 32 page booklet that's just got the rules in it with the yeah. words and, and so I don't have to fight through the rest of the book to find the things I want yeah, mm, yeah. it does you do feel like you want to get a, get your notepad out and um, and treat it like a textbook back at university and just write the, the, the notes that you need to play the damn thing with I guess that's what GM screens are for, aren't they? But you just don't have them standing up anymore. You just have them laying down in front of you with just the, the four pages of notes to run the thing. Yeah, perhaps. So, Dirk, uh, you've done lots of games this year, haven't you? Has, has something instigated that, or have you just been fortunate? Um, fortunate, I think, uh, discipline uh, comes into play, I have to say. You know, you have to uh, <laughs> commit... Uh, to doing it but yeah it, this year has been phenomenal we've done between we've done uh, 280 hours of gaming 101 sessions and 30 different systems uh, wow in, in the Jesus. year you're um, making up for all those years of the degree exactly exactly I think the thing that's uh, been sacrificed is other things so I don't think I've watched a film in uh, eight months because um, <laughs> you know you've not missed much <laughs> But it, I have dedicated it to uh, gaming and producing a podcast. But yeah, I, I, I've just done a quick audit of what we've done over the year, uh, preparing for our review of the year uh, for the Grubdown Files. And uh, th- there was one thing that struck me that I hadn't realised is I haven't played RuneQuest all year. You know, I when when I first came on this podcast uh, with you guys, episode sixty one, I was the RuneQuest guy. And I haven't played RuneQuest yeah. in 12 months. What's happening? <laughs> when did you ago, run it you for us? I'm sure you ran yeah. it for us. You ran it for us. That was last year. year. Yeah, that was last was year. Was it really? Yeah. Oh, Christ. Bloody hell. So, so I've got this uh, beautiful uh, leatherette slipcase containing um, uh, RuneQuest with an unbroken spine. And <laughs> yeah. It's a rare addition. But a damaged <laughs> left leg. <laughs> So it, it it made me wonder why um, why some of the our old faithfuls kind of slip aside, and um, you know how it, you know that they're going to be there in the future. But it, all the new stuff. Part of what I'm doing is making up on lost time, like you say. But also, I want to try and find um, some new ideas, some new uh, ways of doing things. And uh, particularly this year, I've been looking at some of the OSR games like uh, Black Hack. And um, uh, Paul and I played the uh, mothership uh, at Grub Meet, and just uh, seeing how they do things, and uh, you know what what I can learn from that. Because for me, it's it's all a learning experience, and um, some of this as well. Just catching up on that last time, learning some new skills, and seeing how people do things differently. Um, but I'd never thought I'd be in a position where I'd play more Psy World than I had RuneQuest. <laughs> well, nobody thinks that. <laughs> Should have seen it coming. Right? <laughs> so it's an interesting one because, um, in a way, some of the old games are coming back more strongly now as well. So if you look at RuneQuest and Cthulhu and then things like Warhammer, Fancy Roleplay, Vampires Back, this year's seen a lot of the old games, as we probably see them, come back as new. So somebody likes them, I think. Like Warhammer is really popular. I spoke to uh, the guys at Cubicle Seven when I was down there. They're saying it's going crazy. Uh, vampire sales no sign of slowing down, uh, and you know Cthulhu and obviously Chaosium products seem to be going gangbusters as well. Yeah, they seem to be uh, on the up most certainly. I think the influx of people from 
uh, you, know, you said about Critical Role bringing people into the game. I think those people are moving on to, or at least some of them are perhaps moving on to other things. And certainly Critical Role, you know, played some Call of Cthulhu and that's brought, you know, interest into that. So uh, that's been great. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it, the, the old is new again, isn't it? And um, I mean, there was a time, there were genuinely was a time in the mid 80s where I thought, I won't, I won't go through my life without listening to Fugazi by Marina at least once every day. <laughs> I mean, I'll do that every day for the rest of my life. So, you know, th things do change. Um, <laughs> they really do but but then sometimes you just forget what you like when you get to a certain age you, you spend ages like trying to dig around trying to find a perfect fantasy system to like we've been running a school club recently and I've been hacking games apart and sticking bits in and trying to keep it simple but then make it interesting and so on and then you realise oh Jesus Christ I've just rewritten Dungeon World I could have just pulled that off the shelf like you know a year ago and saved us all a lot of pain you forget what you like don't you Mm. It's, like, it's like you start playing D and D. You're going on quests, but the quest mm. becomes creating the perfect edition of D and D. <laughs> <laughs> it's like no, I know, right? <laughs> oh dear, it's like a paella of D twenties now. <laughs> <laughs> but talking of uh, the perfect D and D, I um, I'm, I'm not sure that was a good segue. I'm not sure it's the perfect D and D. High expectations there. <laughs> yeah, it was rather, wasn't it? I don't know where I was going with that, but. I played um, Dungeon Crawl Classics at Gen Con in the summer because I've talked before about how on the, the Sunday morning slot I like to play some um, now I've gone out of my head um, Tunnels and Trolls because it's, it's quite easy and it's quite fun and it's you know good, good uh, Sunday morning fare for me but there wasn't one in the slot that I could get into at that time of day but I found there was Dungeon Crawl Classics 10 o'clock till 2 o'clock on a Sunday perfect but then I turn up at 10 o'clock and I've kind of got other things I want to do that day as well so I don't really want to be there for four hours but you know it's still quite fun and also get there the GM's losing his voice and you're in a big room and it's noisy you're thinking oh not sure about this but then he comes around with this little box says uh, can you uh, take three pieces of paper out of there so I take three and they're all like you know about the size of your hand quite small I get them out and he says uh well, that's PC generation done. I'm like, oh, this, this is sounding quite good now, actually. Um, so I've got three characters. And uh, about an hour or so in, I've still got my three characters. Some other people's are dead. But then we get zapped by a breath weapon. And you know what he does? He does this really good thing that I'm going to try and adopt, where he goes around the table. So he doesn't stand there and say, OK, everybody roll a d20. What did you get? And then people call out what they got and he can't hear. And he has to, you know how it is when you're running the game in a noisy room. He actually just moves around the table and looks at your dice, looks at your number and says, you need to roll that. And he's physically there and it was much quicker and smoother. And, and he was going around like hitting all these first level characters with breath weapon all in one blast, taking out like, well, pretty more than decimating, taking out like two out of every three. Um, and then there was a few of us left standing we get another fight and it's all done, it's been awesome it's been really high impact, really fast really fun hour and a half, we're done <laughs> Good. it's half past 11 <laughs> Sunday morning I packed four hours of gaming into an hour and a half it was great fun and I shook yeah. the guy's hand and uh, you know, it was just just perfect that yeah. was uh, awesome <laughs> remember who that was? it wasn't Brendan LaSalle was it? No, um, the guy's name escapes me, but he um, he is one of one of the mm, one of the main proponents. Of yeah, it? one of the main kind of GMs. He does some yeah, stuff for game, their yeah. uh, for their sort of GM support fanzines and stuff. They got okay. an amazing um, uh, kind of network and support groups for the, the DCC. It seems yeah, very well yeah. organised. Yeah, for sure. Because yeah. like I mean, a lot of other conventions, people pack an hour and a half into gaming of into four hours kind of things. So. Yeah, oh, totally. Yeah, yeah. See the way around. That's so what much. I was kind of getting a bit, yeah, worried about when I turned up. Mm. I'm a huge fan of DCC. Um, been knee deep into it for a long time now. Right. It's it's got um it's just got this really really nice little community built up around it. It's um it's very much its own thing. It's got some really nice philosophies. It massively looks after its fans. Mm. It's like loads of merch, and if you judge for them at conventions and so on, they were just laden you down with badges and pencils and screens and bookmarks and and do everything they can to just give you adventure. Um, and it, you know, one of the few companies 
who are punting out fantastic adventures. I mean, in some ways, the polar opposite to the big Watsy hardbacks that we were talking about before. You know, just proper modules of of concentrated adventure that you can go on. And um, there's just so much to like about the game. I absolutely love it. It's um, I don't I don't know why. It's well, I do. We've spoken with Dirt spoken about this before. This is a this is a name you bounce off of, isn't it? DCC. Yes, that's your that's your one, isn't it? Yeah, I can feel myself shrugging. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> and I don't understand why. It's just uh, one of those games that when I hear it mentioned, I just some, I just hear white noise, and uh, I, I that maybe that should be a resolution for twenty twenty that I actually have a game because Jules uh, uh, keeps saying. You know, come come and play. I'll, I'll I'll get you into it. So I'll take him up on it this year. Yeah, I think it's, it's possibly it. it's possibly one of those games, a bit like RuneQuest is for some people, that a lot of people bounce off it because the hardcore fans are so ebullient and enthusiastic. I think it puts some other people off, and they don't even know how to get into it or what to do. So I think there might be that like that because there is this great community and a lot of enthusiasm. If you're outside of that and a little bit anxious or not quite sure about things, it just makes you think. You lot are a bit much. I'm not sure whether I can get into that or not. Possibly, I don't know. One of the things um, that uh, to explain why I've managed to get so much gaming in this uh, time is that I had to uh, I've had to really concentrate on um, uh, doing sh- uh, shorter sessions. So you know the the two hour online sessions and some games work better for that than others and I think part of the reason why I haven't gone for RuneQuest is that it just seems very unwieldy to play online and I think what I want to do is have a a, a, a face-to-face campaign session uh, that I've just not had that um, for for years you know that ability to just run things over uh, every fortnight uh, around a table and I think that's where you need a game like um, RuneQuest uh, just to just to handle that because I do think I've got really good at playing online, um, but I think it it lends itself to particular styles of play and particular games. I mean, you you've run a few, haven't you, guys, on online for us this year? It's um, it's not as good as playing in real life, but it's better than not playing. Is <laughs> the shorthand version of it. Um, and the trouble is, as always, as, as probably people hear when they listen to our podcast, that even if you have two people online, they'll sometimes talk over each other and then both stop and then both start talking again and whatever else. So if, you, if you've got a GM and four players and everybody wants to say something or nobody wants to say anything in case they're going to talk over someone, you just get a lot of staccato stop-start and things like that. And it can be a little bit awkward and then there's technical issues and other, other sort of stuff. But I think particularly for online games, you need a little bit of prep because otherwise you're all just staring at each other. So it's nice to have little maps or, you know, pictures of monsters or something. Like, you don't have to go fully crazy and, get, and buy, like, massive sets, although I understand why they has. But I feel like you need something to give people to look at while they're not talking to you. Um, and I think there's an opportunity for folk to use chat channels to talk to each other a little bit so they can have inter-character conversations or do that side chat you would do at the table that you don't want to do out loud to upset people. But then, I don't know, that sort of detracts a little bit. You've got some guys typing away and then they're not paying attention when it's their turn to do something and, and that kind of thing. But, yeah, it's a little bit of an awkward interface, I think, playing online. But it means that people like you and I get to play what we perhaps wouldn't do and you can play with people internationally or things like that. So it's definitely got a place in the world and it's, you know, better than nothing, as I say. One of the games I have played a lot of is uh, Savage Worlds. So you can count me as a convert, can't you, this yeah, that's another one. I'll put you in the book. <laughs> <laughs> that book's bigger than Savage Worlds. <laughs> yeah, I do like Savage. I suppose that's that's something we can chat about if you've got any games that have turned up this year, I guess. I don't know, but Savage is one that's back and it's actually different this time in terms of it's, it requires relearning to a degree because the rules have changed sufficiently to make it worth having a new edition. A little bit like the new edition of Call of Cthulhu was actually worth having rather than the previous six, which were all the same ones with different dust jackets, arguably. So it's, not, it's nice to have, um, even if you're getting old games, revitalised versions of them. So like Warhammer, for example, and V5 has been updated. and uh, It's nice to see games coming back and having learned lessons from stuff that's happened before and get a little bit of a tweak and a polish and made a little bit better or perhaps more up-to-date. I don't know whether that counts as better or not sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a double sword, isn't it? You've got your conservative fan base of any game, conservative with a small C, that don't want to see any change at all, but they do want to see a new edition somehow. 
Um, and then you've got people who maybe didn't like it before and can't wait to see if they've made it better this time. You, you kind of can't please everyone. Um, but the, you must, I mean, there's definitely over, over this year, the trend has continued of seeing games from the 90s or, or in fact the 80s come out again on Kickstarter and just a huge upswell of love for it. Um, sometimes unrequited love, <laughs> sometimes very requ- very requited love you know there's, there's some real hits and misses in there um but you know all, all of those games that, that we bought in the 90s mate they're back and they're bigger and badder than ever aren't they is there anything that's caught your eyes uh, glorious guests that over the last year that you've picked up or had a go at so i um played legends of the five rings uh the new fantasy flight version um, I did a, I, I think last time I came on I spoke about doing a 24 hour session well because I'm old I've it's gone to a 12 hour session I've done for charity <laughs> um, but that it, it was fantastic playing it that way because as I say uh, I've been playing very short sessions and just to have that time uh, to run the Topaz Championship uh, over uh, 12 hours and to have another bit of an adventure uh, in the second half of it, which is fantastic, uh, you know, you guys and uh, myself we were on that panel at uh, Expo, and you were dragging me, giving people advice on how to uh, how to uh, play. Every so often, um, there's a magic that happens around a table, isn't there, that you can't quite put your f- finger on. So all those tips and techniques that we give can increase your batting average, but you can ne- you can't quite put your finger on why one game works and that 12 hours of playing Legend of Five Rings was probably one of the highlight of my gaming experiences for, for the last five years it was just great because wow. um, you know it wasn't about fight it was about it, just people um, bouncing off each other and um, the dice made things interesting as well because um, obviously they used the fantasy flight dice but some of the outcomes uh, that came out of it were really interesting to see how the players uh, discussed them and, uh, and worked them out. And that's not an experience that I've really had uh, in a game before because I'm very much used to, you know, clunky fights, <laughs> fight after fight and using old uh, old clunky systems. And I, I thought it worked really well. And, uh, yeah, it was a great experience, a magical experience, I'd say. That's cool. I mean, the one game that I was kind of intrigued to get a copy of, it's only a small game, but it was uh, Mothership that I played at Grogme. And I don't know if it's because, you know, I was fortunate enough to be with a, you know, a rock star GM who uh, was absolutely <laughs> marvellous, called Dirk. Uh, or, you know, is it down to the game or is it down to the... You know, is it down to the written game or is it down to the GM and the other players and so on? It's hard to tell when you're a player in a game quite where the... Um, where the quality is coming from um, but yeah I'm intrigued to, to have a read of that one I must say because it was quite different to what I expected the other thing I really liked about that Dirk was the fact that it was the first game at the convention <coughs> excuse me and there was about I don't know about five or six tables and we were all playing the same scenario and we didn't really overlap there was a bit of a contrivance that we all kind of started together in the same place and then went off on our own missions but Basically, we're all playing the same one, but it was a nice bonding experience for all the people there to be playing the same game. I thought that worked very well. Yeah, <laughs> I think that was the idea of it, really, so that people could share each other's experiences of doing the same thing. So that was. <laughs> this reminds me, guys will know this story. This is a really old story about a Gen Con back in the late 80s, early 90s. We were all playing the same Call of Cthulhu scenario, six tables in one room. <laughs> <laughs> and we all started well, the games all started at 10 o'clock or whatever for whatever reason the game that me and Gazrin started 15 minutes later so we were slightly late to the party but at 11 o'clock the first GM stood up at one of the tables and shouted murder, murder at the exhibition and the other five all stood up and said the same thing and we were 15 minutes away from it happening it like, oh, spoiler alert everyone and then 15 minutes later, our GM stood up and shouted at everybody, cheered and applauded. <laughs> finally got hey, well done. You found the plot. <laughs> <laughs> we hightailed it to the exhibition and staked it out. <laughs> yeah, so amusing. 
Yeah, Mothership's an interesting one. I think the system's probably too much. It's quite a high-impact system and, and fiddly. Um, so I, But the supporting material, the Discord channel's got loads of stuff in it, for example, and got some shit maps, and you know the, the community, again, is like really uh, vocal and supportive and got loads of ideas and keep coming up with like links to things and stuff like that. So I think the stuff around Mothership's really good. Mm. I don't really get as much out of the system itself. I think it's a little bit too much... It's too fiddly for what you're trying to do at the table. You've got too many things to try and work out. Almost, I would suggest. Well, I just want to be able to read the book. I don't want to have to engage with the community. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably going to be disappointing. <laughs> no, the books, the books are and it's small. But um, I think for me also, it's been flavoured a little bit by the fact that um, I've got Alien now as well, which is like basically what Mothership is, but a little bit broader. But yeah, having the um, the defaults. Uh, setting almost as of Alien and that kind of like IP that comes with it just gives it an extra couple of points that takes it above the other game that's the knockoff if you know what I mean mm. Dead Planet's a lovely little scenario book though absolutely yeah. gorgeous I and think that's partly what I mean by scenarios. supporting material as well yeah, yeah. yeah. now our um, another highlight of the year of course was uh, going to uh, Games Expo and being in a seminar with all of you guys Oh, but I seem to think we were giving advice on how to run games and um, I ran a game at the convention as part of the uh, Call of Cthulhu kind of tournament thing there was uh, it was uh, the Call of Cthulhu Masters tournament and uh, did you follow so, your own advice well <laughs> this is what I'm coming to so I think we sort of said you know how at the start of the game you should get everybody to introduce themselves not the pl- not their player characters introduce themselves and you know say who they are and, and so on so I did that <clears throat> breaking the ice I'm not going to do it again because <laughs> just make it really awkward <laughs> yeah well no not, not they made people awkward I con games are a special thing to me and I've never really been able to figure out why but I think this helped cement it in my mind when I'm at home and we all get together, it's quite hard sometimes setting the start of the game and setting aside the chit-chat and, and all of that. And obviously it's nice catching up with people and talking and so on. But if you want to focus on the game, it's like, where do you sort of draw that line? When you're at a con, often it's a pe- bunch of people you don't really know. And they come together and they sit down, they get the character sheets and it's intense kind of in-game sort of from the get-go. And I found that everybody introducing themselves, and then they started sort of chatting, and I was having to sort of say, uh, "Can we, can we, can we, like, you know, I don't want to be like dictatorial here, but can we leave that now and actually start the game?" So I don't want to break the ice; I want to make the ice thicker <laughs> <laughs> and watch the players dance around on it, like you know, skating on ice. That's what I want. Yeah, I, get, I don't know. I think it, you're never really going to know who you're going to get at conventions, do you? I think we're all like quite seasoned convention guys now, and it's each table's completely different. It's mm-hmm. very strange. Yeah, but yeah, you know, but somehow there is that demand to to get to know people afterwards, and uh, you know, I, I totally agree with that. And it's nice to that's how I when I started going to conventions, I'd been I didn't know anybody there. I just heard about it and I went along and was in a game with somebody and then you say hi to them at the bar and slowly you get to know people um, so you know I'm all for that that's good too and that's where uh, I, I come back to that idea you know you never know who you're going to get at conventions you never know how the game's going to go and I think that's the magic of the hobby that we sometimes forget when we are talking about all these tips and techniques and approaches and things is that there is some hidden magic in it isn't there that you're kind of pursuing that game where everybody just thinks, wow, this is fantastic. Because I've had so many games this time, this year. Some have not taken flight. You know, Some of them have been perfectly satisfactory. But there's just been one or two that you think, wow, that was a great experience and I'll never forget it. And the, the unique thing about this hobby is it'll never be replicated. It, it just happened with those people who were sat around the table at that time. Um, Expo uh, mentioned Psy World again. That the energy around that game was just off the scale. It was just completely balmy and mad. But it, I'll never forget that experience of running it. And it wasn't down to the system. It wasn't down to anything. Just that that 
that actual moment. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right, mate. I think that those those um, those little high spots that you get, the really really good ones, they're rarely to do with the system. It doesn't mean that the system's not important or that it doesn't matter or anything else like that at all. But those ones, you're quite right. They're nothing to do with the books that you brought to the table. They're sometimes down to like the chairs you sit in, or when the snacks arrive, or just the, you know the general level of camaraderie. You know you can't legislate for this stuff, but it's what keep, it's what makes you keep coming back. Because what I find fun about the hobby is sometimes the bits that are kind of adjacent to the hobby. I I like to try and analyze games. I like to sort of like to look for those moments and wonder what how they happen and try and replicate them and write them down and give them to other people so that they can try and find them too. We're all kind of like panning for gold all the time, aren't we? Or different analogy, I suppose. It's like surfers looking for that perfect wave. And you do have to sit out there in the cold sea for quite a while sometimes, covered in goose fat. But it's worth <laughs> it when the big one comes up behind it. <laughs> yeah, I think it's true. That D&D game, I ran a second session for the Neebs. And I was, throughout it, I was a little bit worried it wasn't quite as exciting as the first time, which it might not have been because it's, they've done it once now and kind of get it. Um, but I think the moment, and this is the thing that they'll remember, and we're talking about the next day actually, is that there was a bit where they had to like, there's some orcs turned up and, and basically it was like, the orcs want this this thing you're in, this area, uh, and do you like let them have it and leave? Or is it a trap and are they going to get you? Do you fight them or not? And there was a genuine like divide in the middle of the party about what they thought until someone kicked off and they had a big fight about it. But the next day afterwards, they were still kind of like, oh, "I can't believe you did that. We didn't need to do that. Yeah, we did. Yeah, we did." And there was like this, the game was carried on almost in like but in an unofficial yeah. way after. Then, you know, one of the girls was asking me like, well, "So if we'd have just if we just walked out, could you walked out?" And the lads like, "No, no, you can't find out. You, like you can't spoil it. You, you don't. You'll never know." So that and that that sort of like bit right at the end, it was just one decision. But that's where the gaming magic came from with that session. That's the thing they'll always remember. And I guarantee next time we go back, they'll be going right. If we see any orcs, no fucking kicking off straight away, you bastard. And you know, <laughs> there'll be a thing now. There's like they've they've started to learn that gaming magic, which is that undefinable thing that just happens at a game that you take with you afterwards. They got war stories. They've just started. Exactly. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I think all that advice can't guarantee you you know, magic game, but all the preparation and uh, putting all that stuff in ups your chances yes. of having a, a good game. I think yeah. you can't force it. It's like going to a, you know, you can hold a party or whatever and sometimes they're great and sometimes they're okay. Yeah. Just mm -hmm. any social situations. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's a lot of variables in a game, isn't there? There's a lot of variables. And there's a lot of stuff that you can try and control as well. Like, you know, you've got to get your special metal D4 out because it's the only one that's going to roll properly for you that night. But uh, <laughs> it, it's all fun trying to push the buttons and pull the levers, isn't it? That's, that's what we like about it. Mm. It's like an infinite set of levers and none of them are labelled. <laughs> <laughs> so we've mentioned adjacently there um, some of the talks we've done. And... Uh, we like talking about games as much as playing them, arguably, perhaps more, and that's why we have podcasts <laughs> so we can talk about games. Um, but what what do you guys think of the the panels that we did over there? Because that was like a relatively new thing for us. I know we've done occasionally one in the past, but we did a couple this year, mm. or one in Dave's case. Sorry, Dave. <laughs> well, I know you'd have been on the panel if you could have been. If you'd have been there. Well, actually, I had a, a quite a unique experience at the start of the year where I was on a. A sort of panel playing a live game in front of an audience at uh, the Pod UK um, festival with uh, Scott and uh, the guys from uh, How We Roll podcast, and that was quite a, an experience. I think I've uh, <laughs> said that before. I put it in inverted commas. Uh, quite a strange experience <laughs> to record a game in front of an audience. It's quite peculiar. Baffling. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely baffling. <laughs> so, so that's not quite like um, uh, the panel that we experienced at uh, UK Games Expo. But it was, it was good. Do, do you know what's good about it? Is realizing sometimes when you sat in your lonely garret with a uh, a yeti in front of you recording a podcast, you forget that there's people out there who actually listen, and uh, <laughs> it's good just to go to a convention and uh, see that people actually are out there. Yeah, I'm not sure people do listen. That's the thing. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> now that is that is a lovely, lovely thing, and that's happened more this year than in uh, than in the recent past. It's been it's been terrific to shake hands, put names to faces, 
or names to Twitter handles, generally speaking. Mm. Um, it's been it's been so nice um, to have people come up to you and just say you know thanks for the show and thanks for the chat or thanks for the game or whatever it was. It's just um, yeah, there, there is magic in those games, but um, sometimes it happens in the bar afterwards. Yeah, totally. And uh, you know, I've said that to podcasters, and I think you know, to the podcaster, they to the listener, they probably think that lots of people listen to that show so they're getting loads of feedback but that show probably isn't necessarily getting that much direct feedback mm-hmm. yeah, um, yeah. so it, every bit of feedback you get is is quite significant so when people say they they comment on a show or, or they've enjoyed it or whatever then that's quite meaningful yeah definitely much appreciated yeah it really is yeah it really is it is and you know and the, the gaming community and the gaming industry <laughs> industry um it's still small enough that you can be on first name terms with nearly everybody in it so you know we'd be we'd be silly to let go of that that's that's one of the nicest things i mean the community that's grown up around well our three podcasts it's a big old venn diagram isn't it with with loads who meet in the middle um and but it's just great to have a community form around what is basically a shared topic of conversation that's really all it is isn't mm. it and wasn't that poll from morris was that this year we're talking about a review of the year hmm Let's definitely say it was. Yeah, let's say it was. <laughs> <laughs> the, the top so we came in the, like the top few. Our, our three podcasts came out very well in that. So that was that was yeah. um, very nice to see. This is the only poll that's worked this year. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, what, but what do you think of the experience of actually talking live to people? I mean, I, I think I don't know about you guys, but you sometimes get a little bit of imposter syndrome because me mm. and Basil chat, and we like having a chat, so that's why we did the podcast. Frankly, uh, the fact that other people listen is quite surprising, um, and it's like I think from feedback we've had, like we were saying, that there are some people who are like genuinely interested in what we were saying, which comes as a bit of a you kind of assume there will be some people who are interested, but to actually hear it seems weird, almost. I mean, it's good, weird, but it feels a bit like. When you podcast, you're kind of talking into the into the void sometimes, aren't you? So having real yeah. people there, looking and listening and asking questions, especially when you look out and you see some of the faces that you know are as experienced or more experienced than we are, or I am at, at being you know role playing, and I sort of think, well, I'm not sure. I've, as I say, like the imposter syndrome, have I really got anything to say that they need to hear? I don't know that I have, um, <laughs> but. Um, but it was very heartening to hear that feedback after the one that we did at Dragon Meet and people came up afterwards and sort of said, you know, how that there have been some things said that were very sort of useful and relevant to them. So that was very encouraging. Yeah. Yeah, I, I always think it's spectacularly surprising that we don't get booed off stage. Or get, <laughs> <laughs> get, yeah. get caught out for the charlatans we are. Because I, I still feel like a charlatan. And I think that's that's another one of those magic ingredients about role playing is you can never you can never you can never say you finished it. You can never say you've completed it. There's always something to learn. And and I learn something new from every single game I play, every article I read, every podcast I listen to. I try and take something away from everything. Um, but I'm still learning. I still haven't I still haven't mastered it. Nothing like it. I, I still think you know. I'm I'm kind of waiting until I retire and I get more time to like do it properly. And I've spent the last forty years just dicking around, being an apprentice. <laughs> <laughs> We're still waiting for that big wave, aren't we? Still waiting for that big yeah. wave. Yeah. Yeah. It's coming, mate. <laughs> Any time now. <laughs> How much longer am I going to have to have this goose grease on? Is all I want to do. <laughs> Is it going rancid already? <laughs> Plus one, one, of the, um, one of the good experiences I was at the Kraken this year, which I got to all the time. And probably people are bored of hearing about. But what was particularly good this time is there was a couple of German guys who were, like came up to say thanks for the podcast and they really enjoy it and all that kind of stuff. And getting a bit of international reach as well is quite surprising um, but that's, it's just a factor of technology these days that people all around the world listen to stuff I look at the little map that Blueberry gives us of where people are listening and they're in Guatemala and Japan and all kinds of places which is which is cool but the German guys as well are playing a couple of our games and they, they took some of the stuff away from that and they said we're going to use how you GM or some of the things you've done with your GM in our home games, that was great and that, that was like really gratifying to hear and I think that's another good thing about going to conventions and things that 
I know some people are, are leery of going to, but it's that thing that you were saying, Baz, about getting every article you read or everything you read or whatever you do, every game you play, you get something you can take away from it. So I think that's still, it's still high on my agenda to keep going to conventions and things because when you go and play with other people, you just pick other stuff up all the time. You do, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I, I suppose it did happen this year, but I should mention I did actually get King of Dungeons out after, after a very long pregnancy with that one. Um, and that is essentially, that's just like everything I picked up and thought was worth keeping. Over, over like years of playing D and D style games and, and and writing it down, and I you could have knocked me down with a feather uh, when it funded on Kickstarter and then continued to carry on doing so past about three thousand percent, and and people are still buying it today. It, it's absolutely mind blowing because it's just all it is is just just me and writing down some stuff about like hitting goblins with with sticks, <laughs> but other people want to do it. And, and I'm just delighted to everybody who bought a copy or said nice things about it. In fact, no one said anything horrible about it. It's incredible. Um, and it just means that everybody should do it. Everyone should have a go. Writing games is good. Well, it may only be a slim book, but like you say, there's decades of experience packed in there. So. Yeah. Cthulhu was a lot yeah, bigger, wasn't it, Paul? When you... What's that? <laughs> Cthulhu was a lot bigger when you wrote it. It was, wasn't it, yeah. And you had more experience. <laughs> <laughs> And, and you know, it's harder to explain you know as I always <laughs> always say I play as a thing and uh, I played King of Dungeons for the first time uh, last week and I had a tremendous fun it was great and uh, it lives up to its billing of having explosive battles because it was just it was fabulous things happening every uh, every minute it was great I am so so it's so weird to hear people say they've been playing your game. You might as well say like you've been seeing my wife on the side. It would just be as, as like as baffling as that. It's just I was wondering when to bring it up. <laughs> <laughs> it's really weird. Um, a dragon me. I, I I had some people come to see me, which was again incredible. Like signing books is just like that doesn't happen to people like me. But anyway. Um, a, a really really lovely guy who I only knew through a discord server um, he said oh it's really nice to meet you thanks for the game etc So, which was great and he said um, oh I've got something for you and he reached into his bag and I was thinking oh please don't pull out a head please please make sure <laughs> <laughs> and he'd um, it, it, actually it's far nicer than that uh, he'd, he'd 3D printed me a special escalation dice for my game and he, and he handed it over and it's like you know it's a treasured possession now I mean, what what a lovely thing to do for a yeah. fellow I'd never met in real life before, and just due to the power of hitting goblins with sticks, he felt inspired enough to do that, and like you know, and now I've got a new mate out of it. That's that's awesome, and that was my highlight of the year. Yeah, it was good to go to Albert and Wizard staff as well, which is one of those little conventions. Yes. This is about people, well, a bunch of people who know each other on Twitter, maybe, or some gamers that met occasionally or via fandom or podcast or whatever. But that was a similar sort of thing, wasn't it? Like you know, yeah. Um, Matt was running it as like handing out free dices and, and had samosas for lunch and uh, another guy 3D printed an Albert with a wizard staff as a model for everybody to have and all that kind of stuff and free dice mats for the GMs and all kinds of things and it felt like a little community event it was like a little scout up type thing or something like that and it was all just you know wonky chairs and tables that don't quite fit properly before Micah uh, that's like started to peel off but it's just guys getting together and girls uh, just to play games, which I think is really, you know, we talk about going to conventions and some of them are like Expo with 15,000 people and some of them are like 60, 70 folk in a scout hut with no heating, but having an equally good time or arguably better one. Hmm. Yeah, I'm sorry to miss uh, Wizard Staff and Albert because uh, I was recording podcasts that day, but uh, <laughs> otherwise I'd have been there. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping to get to that next time and... Um, yeah, I'd, I'd give a shout out for Concrete Cow, which is taking place on the 14th of March. That's a similar scale kind of event taking place in Milton Keynes, and I'll be there um, and hope to see uh, more people along to that as well. How many of those have you had now, Paul? I think it's been going just over 10 years, and it happens twice a year, so there's been probably 20 odd. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've uh, never made it to one. Have you not? <laughs> it's embarrassing. Right, no, it's just not once. It's, you know, just that <laughs> thing about playing games. Um, and there's a morning slot, there's an afternoon slot, there is an evening slot, but not everybody stays to that. But morning yeah. and afternoon, there's plenty of games, and uh, yeah, you just grab a table and play a game. It's good. Right. Road trip. Yeah. <laughs> not far away. It's not far away, no, not at all. So that, that's 
various things done this year. Is there anything coming up next year that you want to do? Or have you got any New Year's resolutions on stuff you want to try out or play more or less? Or I mean, are you going to have King of Dungeons 2, Electric Boogaloo? Is that going to come out? No. <laughs> like, what's happening? Absolutely not. Jeez. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, the, the plan for King of Dungeons is... Um, I, I need to fulfil promises I made when I when I thought that nobody would go for the stretch goals and then they did. <laughs> <laughs> so I've got um, most of the people currently on this call are going to help me <laughs> with with uh, we're getting some adventures out to my backers and then that will probably take on a to, to become a project of its own really a mini campaign or even a fully fledged campaign uh, for King of Dungeons. I'm quite passionate about about putting my money where my mouth is literally and um and writing adventures which i think is the hardest gig in role playing is actually writing adventures for other people to do and goodness knows i've been scathing enough about other people's efforts in the past including in the last hour so um <laughs> i want to see i want to see if i can actually get something out there that works i'll write it as if it was useful for me hopefully it'll be useful for other people that's going to be the big project next year if only i can just put down the other million little notes and stubs of notes that I've taken about writing a science fiction game or doing a pulp adventure or painting a new miniature or building something out of foam board and the other zillion projects that I've got going on that's that's the the hard part isn't it is focus yeah what about you Dick are you going to cap your uh, game total for this year next year well I've already started uh, planning and for some reason I've got uh, a post-apocalyptic feeling for 2020. Uh, <laughs> I don't, I don't know what makes me uh, think that, but um, I've pledged to play a different post-apocalyptic game each month uh, in 2020, and I'm starting with uh, Gamma World, uh, which I'm going to do at Go Play Manchester Fanboy Three, uh, which is New Newport's um, uh, place, and they've got a WinterCon. It's the first WinterCon on the 11th of January so I'm running uh, first edition Gamma World and uh, first edition yeah absolutely okay. yeah um, wow. and I've got some others planned I'm going to do the uh, day after Ragnarok Kenneth Heights uh, think for fate and aftermath uh, I'm going to spend some time learning pure mathematics so I can get my head around <laughs> that <laughs> And I've been reading recently uh, the Morrow Project, which is really good uh, from 1980, um, which is really the basis of uh, Fallout. You know, these uh, cryogenically um, uh, held warriors who wake up in a post-apocalyptic environment and have to uh, get to survival. So, yeah, that's my that's my theme for next year. The post-apocalypse. And I didn't realise there's just so many games that have that as a theme and setting um, over the years. For us on the podcast, of course, we'll be exploring uh, some of the feelings that were apparent in the early 80s. So we're also looking at things like Threads and uh, When the Wind Blows and yeah. wow. that that fear that we had as uh, teenagers Terrifying. that we were going to yeah. <laughs> all die horribly. Yeah. Four minute warnings. Yes. Wow. Protect and survive. <laughs> yeah. what, what about you, Paul? Is um, the good friend still going to be covering the mountains of madness for part 37? <laughs> <laughs> Is that not done yet? Um, yeah, we're going to move on to other topics soon, I think, uh, as a New Year's resolution. Yeah, we've got a, a bunch of things to talk about, including Midsummer is coming up. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm interested. In, I hope you're fighting my corner on that one. Uh, well, you, there's a, there's a diversity of views. <laughs> right, good. There's from absolutely love it to me in the middle to absolutely hates it. There's only three of us, so uh, you <laughs> probably, all you the probably figure who's on which corner. Yeah. Um, and let me see. Well, we've got Curse of Strahd. We're, we're doing the second session of that on Sunday, uh, so that's probably going to see me through Sunday afternoons for the majority of next year, uh, which I'm looking forward to. That should be fun. Uh, I'm going to carry on going back to the Milton Keynes Club because I've kind of been on and off, you know, with that over the years. Uh, but I've decided, you know, once I've kind of pledged to run a game there, then you know you committed then, so I'm going to like commit to it, prep and and run a game. So the one I've got in mind is a, uh, a Down Dark Trails, uh, you know, Call of Cthulhu kind of cowboy Wild West setting. 
uh, and I've got like a mini campaign for that. So I've got various things that I'd like to and to sort of work up, and that's a good place to kind of play test things. Uh, and then I'm also going to be busy quite a bit next year with um, the new project for Chaosium for Rivers of London, which mm. is uh, an exciting new undertaking. Um, so it'd be interesting to see how that all develops. Yeah. Might have to read the novels then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, one, it's one of them when the announcement came out and lots of people got excited and I thought I've not read that I don't know what it is <laughs> yeah no they're a popular bunch of books so uh, yeah good stuff so, uh, yeah awesome I'm looking forward to playing some games next year I know I say this every year I want some people to run games for me so I can play some stuff well with so, the with the post-apocalyptic feel we should encourage Baz to play uh, Eberron because that has a post-apocalyptic feel isn't it after the war after the mm, morning yeah. And uh, maybe that could be our D and D fix for twenty twenty. Yeah. Well, and and of course, Dark Sun is literally post apocalyptic. Yes. And Gaz is giving me nods for that one. So you know, <laughs> there's. Uh, <laughs> when I was counting, I did I did this thing the other day. I counted how many fantasy role playing games I've got. I said I had fifty six. That turns out to be a lie. It's pushing on towards ninety now. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and I, I forgot how many I've got. So this is the only thing that stops us ever getting games going. Is like, which one of those am I going to use to like look for the magic with? Because it just seems to keep coming down the system. But yeah, uh, my pledge is I want to do some gaming with you guys online. I want to run some games again. I've taken, I've, I've sort of stepped away from the GM's chair loads in the last couple of years. What with re- real life and stuff like that. But it, it would be good to get back into that chair because. Um, because Gaz is a is a mean player, and he, he needs to sharpen his dice. I think. <laughs> yeah, well, I think that's. What I, I do like being involved, which is why I gem quite a lot. Because then I get to save most of the stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Talk six times as much as most of the players do, but there does come a time where you think oh, I kind of want someone else to run some games now. <laughs> I want to yeah, play stuff. Right. Okay, everyone's on deck then, mate. It's, it's coming up. Cool. That's good. Right. I think we're about at time. Um, so I'm not sure whether anyone else has any roundups or any last things they want to get in before we sign off about the year I think it was good for us generally I'm glad like all our podcasts are doing well that's gratifying uh, the hobby's doing yeah. well as well uh, I think it's, that's one of those things where finally we can stop saying you know role playing's going to die this year as people used to every year perennially um, so it's all looking good from role playing point of view I think yeah, I think so. I think you know it's been it has been a really good year for all things role playing in, in every single sector. I'm, I'm so jealous that Dirk's got so many hours under his belt this year, and that Paul's going to clubs and got a Sunday afternoon game. <laughs> it's the one missing ingredient in our lives, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe fewer fewer podcasts, more playing. More going know. to clubs. I don't know about that. Well, I mean, I will say when Neil um, set the Milton Keynes club up. I mean, this is like what 15 years ago. And we met in a pub in Buckingham, and he was on about setting up a role-playing games club. And I was like, "Are you out of your mind? Who's going to come?" And like a dozen, <laughs> uh, half a dozen of us turned up, and that was all it was for a while. But now it's like fifty odd people. So I think, you know, anybody out there, if you're looking to set up a role-playing games club, now is the best time to do it because there's loads of people looking to play. They're playing online, but they're just as much love to come along and play in a in a local club. Hmm. That sounds like a future podcast topic alert. Sound like Claxon. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's all good. I, I, I remember looking around on meetup and stuff like that, and the places I used to play and get abuse for when I was out in public in pubs trying to play D anD D and things, are now packed, and you can't get in them to play a game anymore because it's full of new people all who right. didn't have to go through my pain. <laughs> I nevertheless enjoyed the fruits of my labour. How dare they! But no, it's good to see. It's good to see people are out and playing, and it's becoming. I think the whole hobby and geekdom and stuff's becoming more mainstream now, isn't it? It's just not as weird as it used to be in the eighties. Perhaps it just seems like a thing now, which is good. Um, okay, so what, as a, as a parting shot, then I'll ask you about this one because I've seen it online a little bit. It's, we've talked about D and D quite a bit there, um, and for me, D and D doing well will ultimately do well for the rest of the hobby as well. But I know that's the converse opinion. What, what do you guys think? If D and D and Critical Role and stuff are going gangbusters, does that just help all the other games, or do you fall back to the trickle down economics uh, sort of thing of saying that 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 can't be true? What do you think? No, I would very much agree with that. Yeah, as I've said, I think more people come into the hobby. A lot of them are going to stick with 
D&D if that's what they like but a lot of those also are going to go and look at other games and if they go to conventions like Gen Con or whatever they're going to get exposed to other types of games and also Critical Role they're not just doing D&D they're doing Call of Cthulhu and they're doing maybe some other games as well so you know that's that avenue I think is pulling people into the hobby and in this case Trickle Down might actually work <laughs> yeah, the, other, the other bit of course is you know, at my son's school they've um, opened up the second room uh, for the games club for D&D so many people so many kids wanting to play D&D and I know Baz you run uh, D&D at school yeah. so there's that uh, generation who are just like uh, I was in 1979 um, who are going to come up mm-hmm. and they're going to want new things and play new things and have new ideas so that's exciting as well yeah definitely I, 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 I'm not sure I understand how anybody can think it doesn't work I mean you know look at look at anything else at all look at the people who just get into video gaming because of Fortnite you know 10 11 year olds playing Minecraft is that good for the video games industry I would suggest it is because they buy other things and play them and they just put it on their birthday list and their Christmas list I think the the issue that that other games have that non D&D has is that perhaps you know there isn't the the friendly local game store there isn't the equivalent of the video game store and perhaps you know drive through is the place you go to go and get your downloaded games hasn't got the hasn't got the the cut through that something like Amazon has got so you know it isn't always easy to know that other things are available but I don't think there's any point sort of sitting there and folding your arms and being all sort of chewy about it and going oh why isn't anybody playing my life with master the bastards they don't know what they're missing out on <laughs> you know people well, will find their way they'll find their way yeah I agree one of the um, the sad things for this year is the bricks and mortar element of Chimera, our local game store, shut down um, mm. just because of lease and uncertainty over the future and all that kind of stuff. But um, he's still got an online presence as Andy who runs it. And the other interesting thing is that he built up quite a, a stable of D&D games. He runs two or three a day most days of the week. And that's still going on. So the local um, like lo- microbrewery, that's what you call it, has got a room upstairs. And he's running two or three games of D&D mostly, the occasional Cthulhu or something. Mm all the time so though it's sad to see the physical store close it is good to see that the hobby in terms of people actually playing games is uh, has never been better I guess yeah 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 I mean, it, it, it's a it's a nice problem to have isn't it what we're going to do with all these hundreds of thousands of new players into the hobby <laughs> <laughs> exactly we're going to sell them dice trays is what's going to happen <laughs> and all rolled ups and things like that yeah, yeah. absolutely Right, well, I think we're we're more than an hour now. Such is uh, such is time. Try to defeat us once more. So, uh, thanks very much, first of all, to uh, Paul for coming on, speaking to us. Yeah, thank you very much, and uh, happy New Year to everybody. And uh, to Dirt the Dice as well. Thank you very much, and happy New Year. All the best for twenty twenty. And uh, if you want to join me in the post-apocalypse, uh, look at on Twitter. I'll be looking at my copy of Cyberpunk 2020 and crying. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's all from us as well. So thanks, everybody, for listening. All the supporters of all three of our podcasts, the people that come up and say hello and thanks at the conventions, the odd Patreon that chucks us the odd shekel as well to keep the podcast on the air, uh, and all the kind words and reviews, because that all does keep us going throughout the year. <laughs>